0: Welcome to The Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy, the free podcast for motivated teachers and school leaders who want to inspire their students and school community in literacy learning. Make sure you subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast player, and for more amazing literacy resources, check out the show notes provided with every episode.
1: Hi, I'm Sharon, and I'm the host of A Teacher's Toolkit for Literacy. In every Toolkit episode, we bring you specific resources, tools, strategies, tips, techniques to help you in your job as a teacher of literacy. Firstly, we acknowledge and pay our respects to the Ghana people, the traditional custodians whose ancestral lands we gather on. We acknowledge the deep feelings of attachment and relationship of the Ghana people to country and we respect and value their past, present and ongoing connection to the land and cultural beliefs.
2: And welcome, Phil. Thanks, Sharon, and welcome back to part two of our podcast. Enjoy. So, Di, how does shared reading fit in with read aloud, independent reading and small group work with children involved in a reading experience that helps them to get more support or allows them to practice an aspect of reading they have not mastered yet?
3: Yeah, well, I think a lot of people really understand the notion of sort of like read to, read with, and then the child reads by themselves. So it's that sort of gradual release of responsibility model. And of course, reading aloud is happening at a level where perhaps it might be much more difficult than the text you would use for shared reading. But you want children to learn a lot about rich language, as I was talking before, extending their vocabulary, their world knowledge, um, the enjoyment of a lot of things about books, and getting to know particular authors and styles of art and all kinds of things. But the children are learning a lot about reading and writing through that sort of material. But it's not necessarily going to be something that, well, it won't necessarily help a beginning reader. As the children are reading independently, it can certainly help. We can do a lot of modelling of thinking aloud about the comprehension strategies we're using, for example, and that might be through a read aloud We might do something specifically about vocabulary in books that we're reading aloud, or even particular genres, what are the features of different genres, or the style of a particular author. But then when we get to shared reading, we're not just demonstrating how to read, we're also including the children in that process. So it's both demonstration and reading with the children, so they feel very supported, but then wanting them to be able to join in and independently do it. And then independent reading is when they're by themselves reading independently materials that they can read. And it will be hopefully copies of what you're using for shared reading, but it will also be a lot of other texts that the kids can read. And it's interesting, teachers will talk about a just right book for children's independent reading, and it means that, There's a little bit of something for you to still work out, but most of it you can read by yourself. And because you can read most of it, that helps you to work out what the other words would be. And, of course, alongside that, you're teaching children other ways to work out how to say an unfamiliar word. It's not just because of the context. Uh, Certainly no guessing Of what the word might be, but using particular strategies, looking at the letters, um, looking at parts of the word, and cross-checking by using, does it make sense? Does it sound right? That's the syntax. And even sometimes you do need to use the picture clues to get all of the story. Mm -hmm. So that something like, well, just about anything, I find that if you don't look at the pictures, don't even know who it is that's speaking or doing things that are talked about in the text. So we can't say don't ever use the pictures to help you understand the story. Uh, Sometimes the pictures are giving you most of the story understanding because there's limited text to do that. So we want to be able to make sure that the children are knowing how to do all of these things so that when they're reading independently with just right books, they know what to do as an effective reader. But also, if they've got a collection of their own books, which is so important, when I say it's reading time, it's straight down to reading, not going to look for a book to read, then they may have something in their box that's easy. And by the way, I never say it's too easy, easy to read. I can read all of the words, but perhaps my goal is to work on my fluency and expression. Then it needs to be a book that I know all of the words of, and I'm just really working on my expression. And that might be what I have lots of in my book box because that's my goal. And so this is all linking together because then I'm going to be listening to the children when they are reading and I'm going to be learning about what they can do, recording that, talking with the children about what I've noticed and what they need to do. And I want them to become kids who are so aware of what they're doing well that they'll be able to tell me what they did. And to even understand where they were getting into a bit of don't understand or can't quite work out what that word is, that they would say, I don't know that. And either I do know what to do to find out or I don't. And then you're learning a lot about what you need to be teaching your children, perhaps as a class, or child A, child D, child F. Each are having trouble with the same sort of thing. So let me pull them together as a group Yep. and I can work on what they specifically need. The group is entirely flexible. There's no such thing as the Apples, Bananas and Oranges group because there's nothing fixed. It's totally dependent upon what I'm noticing and what better time to notice that when the children are independently reading and I can find out how they're going and what they need. So all of those pieces go together and it's, it is circular event isn't it that yeah, yeah. I'm demonstrating things I want them to learn about reading they're doing it with me they're doing it by themselves by conferring with them that time I find out who's able to and who's not I might go back and do some with the group we're moving on to the next back to the read aloud and shared reading and, uh, and I know during shared reading I can give very explicit demonstrations of a strategy and explain why we're doing it and how we're doing it and help them to do it. So that that collaborative work in shared reading with all eyes on the one text, all reading along as much as possible and having a go at the strategies we're teaching is part of the total picture.
2: I think our next section, more about shared reading, we've probably covered those things. Don Holdaway had a suggested plan for shared reading experiences in the classroom. I think you went through...
3: And, you know, one of the things I want to say about the plan is that you sort of got to be really thinking through about what do you want to achieve out of this shared reading oh, session. Oh, yes, yep. Okay? Yep. So it's not just, oh, here's a nice book, let's read mm. it. Mm. But what in particular would you like to be doing? And sometimes books will really lend themselves well to teaching a particular strategy or process about reading. And, you know, people will say... Oh, a lot of teachers don't have plans. They're just doing as it comes along. But, you know, I've noticed a lot of teachers will actually write in the back cover of some of these big books. What they have found, like this book was really great for teaching uh, the the church sound because there happened to be a lot of words in it that had that sound. And and they'll make sure that over the year that they're covering all of the things that they want to cover. Mm-hmm. And their planning every week it might be you know, really, even looking for the right book that will help them to do with what they're doing, as long as it's a book that the kids can read along with if you're using it for shared reading. So, having yep. this overall framework, but then knowing what you want to teach yep. is very important because they work together.
2: And hence, having all those books accessible in your classroom where you've got them yep. at your fingertips and the kids can exactly. also go back to them as well.
3: Yep. 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 And, you know, I know that money affects this. And so if there are three prep classes, for example, and they would all like a copy of Mrs. Wishy-Washy, well, of course they would. But if they can't buy three copies, then this teacher could be using Mrs. Wishy-Washy for quite some time. Another teacher could be using a different book, but it's at the same sort of level of difficulty. The children will still be able to join in with it. You'll still be able to teach a lot of things about reading. It's not like you only can do that from one book. Mm-hmm. And the third teacher might be using a different book. And during the year, they may change over. You know, we, we can't get hung up on that book only will be serving my purpose at the no, moment.
4: No. And no. if
3: the school's got a lot of books, and if they've been organized in a way that you've got them in some sort of level of difficulty in terms of what will my kids be able to do with this, then uh, you don't all have to have the same. And if the school's got no money to buy any, then make your own. And it's something that different teachers can take responsibility of. You know, if, if I make a chart of a poem Perhaps I might share that idea with the other two teachers that this poem's really great to work with. We could make three copies. We could run off lots of copies for all the kids to have. And so the money part of it doesn't become such a problem. Yep, yep. The other thing I haven't talked about much is non-fiction big books being yep. used for shared reading. Mm. And I have noticed, again, that the print can become really small in some parts of the non-fiction books particularly the parts you know that went with the pictures or the labels and diagrams and charts and so forth so you've got to really think a lot about what will you do with that part because the children may not be able to join in with it and you know sometimes i think that that book is going to be really great for learning about the topic that it's about and that in itself will help children's reading And you'll be able to talk about all the features, the index and the contents and the labels and what you do with them and so forth, even though the children may not be able to join in with all of the text. So I can still use that book, but I may not necessarily use it for shared reading Mm, because mm. the children can't join in with the reading. So I will help teachers look at the books like that too. So yes, this is a great book about tadpoles. Will you be able to use it for shared reading? Is the text large enough? If not, you could still use that book, but where and when will you use it? What will you be able to do with it? And this is also important for children's independent reading. Yesterday I was working in this grade one classroom and the children were independently reading and so I was sitting down at tables listening to different children read and observing what they were doing, telling them what they were doing, etc., and setting some goals for them. And I noticed that one girl who was reading a non-fiction book was just reading the main part of the text but then there were bits of the text that were in boxes or underneath pictures And she was ignoring those completely. And yet they were parts of the total text that were important information about this topic that she needed to also read and put the two together, sort of synthesize what was in these little boxes with what was in the main part of the text. So... I realized that this was something probably the whole class needed some demonstrations about. But my goal for her was I pointed out, well, I said, well, what are you going to do with these bits here? Because she was just going to turn the page. And I pointed out to her that she actually needed to read those. And when she read them, she might realize she needed to go back and read part of the main text and think about how that bit joined in with it or that when you come to a spread of a double page where there's both main text and pictures, you might figure out what each bit's about first and then think about which part will I need to read first? Will I read part of the main text and then stop and go down to read the part that's in the caption and then go back to the main text? So there's a variety of things I can do with this print. And in fact, it's not necessarily just top to bottom. It might be something that it'll box down the bottom of the page that I might need to read part of the way through my reading of that page. So, you do different things with nonfiction books. And if you've got some nonfiction big books to demonstrate that, then that's much easier than just trying to do it with a book with tiny print that you would use for read aloud. Then, you want the children to be reading some nonfiction books to be able to use that knowledge and apply it to their own independent Mm, reading. So I might be saying to my class, because of what we're learning about reading nonfiction books, this week in your book box, I want you to have at least two nonfiction books that you will be able to read or mostly read so that you'll be able to practice what we're learning about. So that circular aspect of all of this that I was talking about before, I'm thinking about what do I want the kids to have in their book box? And it might be I want them to be able to uh, predict when they're reading. So I might actually have a couple of boxes of books that really encourage children to be predicting while they're reading and they can choose from those material that they can read, but to be able to practice what strategy we're working on. So the whole lot should be linked from what I'm demonstrating, what we can do together, and then what I want the children to be able to do independently. Yeah. And if I'm planning that way, then I will be much more effective in my teaching of reading or anything.
2: Absolutely. Now, when I ask the question, what can be taught in shared reading? There's all those nitty gritty things that we can teach as part of reading and you've covered some of those are there any yeah. any that you think that we might well
3: let's think i mean i think first of all they're getting the right attitude and habits yep. about how reading's enjoyable and it's something i like to do and i will do it often yep. and the material you're using and how you go about teaching reading affects that dramatically and I did mention that we can you know teach kids about the very simple concepts of print right through to very sophisticated comprehension strategies. The interesting thing, even though I say sophisticated, a lot of teachers find that when kids do some sort of reading test in grade three, they'll mention to me that the strategy the kids have most problem with is inferring. But I can start to teach inferring right down from the beginning reading stages because, Quite often, it's where you really need to be able to infer most often. For example, if I open up at the first page and it says, um, I love Saturday mornings. Well, who's I? Who's telling me this? Mm. Who's doing the telling in the story? I would actually have to look at the picture to see who I might be. If I can just see one boy in the picture, I'm assuming he's the I. I mean, that requires inference. Uh, to be able to say, well, this is all that the author's telling me. But from what I know, if someone's telling the story, they're going to say, I did this and I did that. So who is it that's doing that? And there's an incredible number of the books used for beginning readers that don't actually tell you who's speaking, and you have to be able to infer it. I can remember, too, in a classroom a couple of years ago that, the story with this uh, five-year-old that she was reading was about a lady going and buying some shoes in a shoe shop. And this little girl said to me, it must be summer. And I said, what makes you think that? And she said, because the shop's got sandals in it and it hasn't got any boots. Uh, What great inference is that? So I said to her, you've just inferred that. The author hasn't actually said it. But that's what good readers do. They're looking for more information than the author is giving you and thinking about what else they know about the world that might help them to understand what's happening here. And knowing that the lady's looking to buy shoes and there's only sandals there, for you to make that inference is really fantastic. So I can tell children when they're using strategies that they may not have even heard of before and so they're starting to get the language of comprehension but I can also demonstrate how to do that sort of thing whenever I'm reading. And again, how much better it is to have a big book that the children can see the print and the pictures, and we can talk about that strategy of how I can infer more than just what those words say. And, you know, then they're not getting that silly idea that when they're told, um, what is it, I have to read between the lines and the kids are actually looking for some words between the lines when they're told that.
4: Mm-hmm. But if I could
3: actually demonstrate as part of the working out how to read this text, that that's what I'm doing. And the same goes for all of the comprehension strategies, predicting, questioning, visualising, setting a purpose, inferring, monitoring your reading, like if I make a mistake, do I know how to fix it up? Even recognising that I've made a mistake that uh, metacognition, I want to let them know that that's something good readers do. You don't have to know how to read every word, but you have to know how to find out how to fix it up if you don't know it. Using text structures and features. Imagine trying to do that without an enlarged text. Yep. And summarizing. So I can think about all of the strategies that I want to teach them and then plan over the year as part of my read aloud and my shared reading yep. of being able to teach them. But already I can tell that the shared reading part of it is going to be so much easier to demonstrate yeah. a lot of that work.
2: And you can demonstrate using syntactic, semantic and graphophonic cues, which is really important to have Absolutely. those yep. three different strategies to help you. Yep.
3: Yep. And if I notice that, that a child is not using semantic cues, as in making use of what they know about the world and thinking about what would make sense then I can actually set up the reading of a text by covering up some words that will force them to be thinking about that aspect of the text. What would make sense in terms of what's this word likely to be? If it's a stake doing something, what's it likely to be? Running? Hardly. What if it says sliding or slithering? Well, yes, that would make sense. That's the sort of language we would use about how a snake moves. That's my semantic knowledge. Even the fact that I'm saying slithering, the type of verb I'm using, it's the syntax. I see the snake slithering or sliding. And then I can also say, well, I can hear those two sounds at the beginning. Do I see those at the beginning of this word? Yes then this must be on the right track because it's got the right letters for the sounds I can hear. So I'm going to emphasise the strategy they're not using but show how they all play a part together for this cross-checking to make sure that what I'm saying actually works with all of those cues.
2: So you're empowering the reader by having a toolkit of strategies there, aren't you?
3: Absolutely. And I don't want them to just have one. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I could tell with a lot of these grade one kids that too many of them didn't realise how to use all of the cues. And, you know, there are lots of reasons for that. It might not be, you know, anything to do with what the teacher's doing, it might be just where the child is at. That's fine. But it's something I would want to be watching out for in their reading and to think, what are they always doing? What are they not doing? And I'm certainly never going to say, just read on and guess. No. guess is the wrong word yep. predict but you have to have some evidence you can't just make a guess without and using your yeah, knowledge
2: children need a repertoire of strategies to help them read don't they?
3: absolutely yep. yep. and I mean we're just talking about some of them there aren't we I mean another strategy for reading a word is you know it Mm -hmm. And I certainly want them to immediately recognize high-frequency words because they come up so often. So I have to make that part of my plan as well. The interesting thing is I have found that if I've been doing a fair bit of shared reading in the first couple of weeks at school, and then I say to the kids, there are some words that appear a lot in whatever we read and what we say, has anyone got any idea about what those would be? And the kids will tell me mm. the, uh and, and so on. And so we start to make a list of those words and say, well, you know what? If they're in lots of things that we're reading and we're going to use them a lot in our writing, they'd be great ones for us to learn. Mm. And of course, then you have to think about how you're actually going to learn a word so that it's, you will recognize it and be able to write it forever. I, we We've have got a sc- whole podcast on how to do that. Haven't yeah, we, Bill? <laughs> me too.
2: we have schools trying to help kids with their fluency, um, but shared reading is a perfect way of teaching fluency, isn't it?
3: Definitely. And it's also why uh, there used to be tapes or some sort of reading along that was apart from the teacher that the kids could listen and read along with just purposely to practice their fluency. And as I say, choosing the right books to do that with, I walked into a grade one class at Lara Primary School a few years ago and they were well set up about kids' independent reading boxes and so forth and great classroom libraries for them to have easy access to books. And the boy said to me, Mrs. Snowball, you're going to find in my book box at the moment, I've got lots of books that are very easy for me to read because I'm working on my fluency. That means I have to improve my expression and the rate and the phrasing, take notice of the punctuation. So I need these books to be able to practice that. Wow.
4: Wow. <laughs> what yeah. a great
3: teacher to have modeled that Incredible. so explicitly that yep. the kids even know which books to choose to help them with their goal. Wow. Yeah, that's That's the, what we're aiming for, that, isn't it, Phil? The,
2: well, the kids understanding what's the best way of learning, that's amazing, isn't
3: it? Yep. And you know, there are other things that will help with fluency like doing readers theater and you're just turning the the text into perhaps a play. And kids take part. And you know, you can do that with even just putting little labels on a story that's a big book, narrator, and then the names of the characters as they speak, Mm. and giving either small groups in the class or individuals those parts to read. And again, they're thinking, I have to read this fluently and with expression and phrasing. I'm taking part in this as a performance because that's what readers' theatre is. But it doesn't require any costumes to be made or anything. I could just take the print and then use it for the kids to just practice fluency through readers' theatre. A small group might do that by themselves once they know how to do it when we've done it as a class. But I'm thinking about which kids would really benefit from that when I set up my work for the day. Yeah. Yeah. They can all do it, of course. It's a fabulous experience to have readers' theatre. But if I particularly have some kids I want to improve their fluency, then I'm going to make sure that that's something they get to do. We can write a whole book about for each aspect uh, of reading that you want to teach, every process, every strategy, and how you can use your shared reading time and materials to be able to do that.
2: And then it's a teacher working out um, the balance of what they teach and when over a year for their prep or reception students or year one. And I mean, I think we've got something on Teachific, which is about reading what to teach and when.
3: Yes. From the number of different podcasts you've done, Phil, there's something on just about everything. It's fabulous. Yeah so much for teachers to go back to and even re-listen to now that they're adding perhaps the notion of shared reading and then thinking about what other things they know and how that will fit in. I must say that when I was mentioning before about what you do with a shared reading session is just keep getting on with it, move on, move on. Uh, Too often a teacher might be, I'm waiting for Johnny, I'm waiting for Susie, I'm waiting for all face to front, blah, blah, and five minutes has gone by. And if you just get on with the reading and then getting the children to joining in, they're immediately going to be paying attention to what's going on. And I know I've got a couple of kids so I need to sit right under me yep. so they can easily see the book and are not going to be distracted. Yep. But you know what I would do with those children? I would have... Some helper come in and read to them frequently and for sustained periods of time because I reckon they've missed out on that experience, yep, yep. and that will be the thing that will help them more than anything else yep. probably to be able to pay attention to something. I wouldn't mind trying that with a lot of kids who've been described as you know attention deficit
4: mm.
3: and even being given some sort of drug for it. I'd like to see what would happen if they were just read to for long periods of time with yeah. material they can stay engaged in.
2: Yeah. And it's engaging material is the the key, isn't
3: it? Really. Exactly. Yeah. Very important part of it. If you've got some enlarged books that are not worth reading, you're going to have to figure out something else to do with them. Yeah. And I really mean that yeah. because they may be very good for a read-aloud, they may be very good for giving to a teacher in an older grade. You know, many books were published for shared reading for older children. So I'm shocked when I see those books, you know, in a younger grade, because the children definitely cannot join in with them. Now, if the teacher's got it there because they're studying um, the rainforest, and there's a great big book on the rainforest that's in the grade four classroom. I might borrow it as a read-aloud for sharing the information in yep. the book, yep. but I don't expect to use it in shared reading. No.
2: But there's a specific way of choosing text for shared reading and they need to almost go through and do a cull and um, put those all in one group somewhere. And then... You
3: do. is the first thing I do in a school mm. is we look at what they've got and we actually then organise them according to where they're most suitable to be used. Yep. And if there are some that we do not want for shared reading, we put into the pile that are for topic studies and think about which grade in the school would want those books. And also, we then think, well, why in the world was this ever bought? Someone paid $50 for this and it's not worth reading once. Mm. Do I want this in my classroom at all? Well, I know what I would do, but each school has to make their own judgment about what they would do with that. Yeah. You know, one of the things that sort of almost breaks my heart is if something's really crummy and then they think, oh, well, they could take that home to read. Mm, no, No. You no, know, I want children to know that reading is a fantastic experience. It's not reading some drab, old, fall apart or whatever book, especially if the kids are from homes where they don't have great books at home. Yeah. It really is a very cruel thing to do, yeah. I think.
2: Well, we talked about in another podcast about it being an equity issue, didn't we? Oh, um,
3: definitely. Yep, you're not kidding.
2: Now, Di, some of the associated activities that can be connected with shared book experiences, we've talked about reader's theatre, but there's other things, aren't there?
3: Yes, definitely. It might be um, using the storyline to dramatise because that's a great way of finding out the kids really understand what it's about. And, you know, the comprehension part of being able to put yourself into the role of a character based on the information that's in the text, uh, dramatising that. Um, So we could either redo the whole thing as a play or we might just pull out what would this character look like. So that might even be some sort of artwork about from what we know about this person in the story What would they look like, do you think? When would it be taking place? Where would it be? Could we illustrate that? Some may have a great rhythm that lends itself to tapping or chanting or even dancing. Um, So encouraging that sort of free expression is great. And some provide a great sort of pattern or storyline that the kids could make up their own stories with new characters or actions by just changing some of the words in the story. I can remember a class rewriting The Lost Mitten or then they thought about something else that was lost and how would the whole storyline go then based on that. You know, the setting might change, the characters might change, whatever, but we've got this plot to base our story on. And some of them can be, you know, really simple poems that we start off with. That might be five little monkeys, but then we might change that to three big lions sitting in a field, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, one ran off and then there were two. You know, it doesn't even have to rhyme, just no. using that pattern line yep. to be able to rewrite yep. something. Yep. And then they've got their own class versions to either make into books or just read. And then, of course, nonfiction books. You know, you've got different reasons for reading nonfiction too and you can have a variety of genres to help children get to know the sort of um, the text pattern, like if it's uh, how to do or make something, if it's an instructional text, then what do they notice about the way that's written? You know, they're always starting usually with doing words, aren't they? Such as, Mm. you know, put the flour in the basin, add the cream. Stir, you know, so they're a great demonstration of how to write particular genres. But you know, one of the things I worry about that is what people might call genre writing can turn into be very boring writing for the kids where they don't have much choice about what they're going to write. Mm, mm. But if we're going to write a particular kind of text then we do need models or mentor texts of how to do that. So You know, those big books will be really great to use in that
2: way. Yeah, but the children do need a choice. Um, Our last podcast was a young teacher uh, making the shift into really great ways of teaching writing at reception or prep. And it was all about giving the children choice and it just changed the whole classroom dramatically as to how much writing they were doing. Yep. They're so excited about it now.
3: Exactly, yeah. I want to emphasize that one of the best things for teachers is to just keep up their professional learning. You don't know how to do all of these things at once. And, you know, yesterday I spent a day observing these grade one teachers and then we had a meeting. And, you know, Elstonwick Primary School is a fabulous school in many ways. But these teachers are so keen to learn, and I think that's because of the way the school runs. You know, mm. the principals very yeah. much part of that. Mm. But and I said to them, you know I have to be frank with you because you know I've been teaching for fifty six years, and there's a lot of knowledge I can share with you. So if you don't mind me being honest about things I see, but I'm not doing it for criticising you. I'm doing it to help you just sort of refine what you're doing. You're starting out, you've got great ways with your kids and your room's set up well and you've got all the structures in place and now let's just sort of go back and rethink about each of them. But then when I got home last night, I sent them an email, I think it was about 9.30, and said, mm-hmm. Look, you know, my greatest problem is I know too much and I want to share with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we really just need to work on one thing at a time, mm. perhaps. So mm. you have to sort of keep watching me about that, not let me do that sort of thing to you because so when we meet on Friday, let's just stick to a couple of things yeah. <laughs> that we can yeah. build our knowledge about.
2: Do you know um, do you know we've if, got a te- it's too hard to do it all? We've got a teacher in one of our schools who purposely goes to listen to a, one of our podcasts and then acts on some of the things they find out from that podcast the next day in their classroom, and they're doing that all the time. I mean, what an incredible thing to do.
3: Oh, that's quite incredible, and I really think – but, you know, it also shows how practical the podcasts are, that you can pick up something you can try in your classroom the next day. Like, I hope that every school that's got a lot of big books stacked in their library will, you know, sometime as soon as possible. and you know, A lot of teachers find that at lunchtime and after school is a good time to do that because you've got to get them all out, all be there, have a discussion about the books. That's the best part. Yeah, yeah. And uh, work out where they go, where they belong. You know, we'll have a list based on what grade levels they're for. We're not going to just keep them in alphabetical order anymore. It's no. not helping us. And as soon as they do that, they're able to be on their way and do so much more with their big books. So it's worth doing. It's yeah. got to be doable and worth doing yeah. with anything you take on.
2: Yeah. Well, we've covered a lot today. Die on shared reading and learnt that there's a lot to it that probably all of us could learn more about. But definitely, um, we've got an article that you've written that would be a really yeah. good go to for teachers to uh, read through. Um, so I'll that's right. Make sure that's I've up tried
3: on. to cover all of this in the article. There's certainly enough of it there to remind you of most of what's been said. So. Yeah. Yep, that's definitely there. And you know, I realised this morning that I've got another great article I wrote about exactly what Don Holdaway said in his books and what he spoke about because I was so lucky to have worked directly with him when this was all first happening. And I thought, you know, we could include that as well because hearing Don Holdaway's words about this, unfortunately, some people write about shared reading and they don't even reference him, Mm. which is quite extraordinary. So... I think it would
2: be good for us to include that as well. Okay. And I'm learning more and more through doing these podcasts that there are all these terms like shared reading and read aloud or independent reading, but there are really great ways to do it or not so great ways to do it. So you've you've got to learn as much as you can about that particular strategy. And then, yeah, the more you know about it and how it can be used, the more powerful it's going to be in your classroom. Because there's fairly watered-down ways of doing things and there's really strong ways of doing things.
3: Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, I think with this shared reading, it's a really good thing to, you know, just think about what are the really essential things that are going to make it work or not, like having the right text, um, you know, wanting the kid, making sure the kids get to always read, uh, you know, and that they read along with you as soon as they can. There's no, you're not allowed to. And that, um, you know, some of those things are really, really just basic that you could f- change
2: tomorrow. Fundamentals. And,
3: mm. you know, discuss it with your other teachers mm. because, you know, shared reading can be used right through the school. It might be something projected onto a wall or onto an electronic whiteboard, yep. and then we've got an enlarged text. Mm. So, you know, any material can be enlarged. If it's okay for those kids, that group in particular, to be able to read, you're going to be able to use it for a lot of things Mm. you want to teach.
2: And just allowing repeated readings and them going off independently with that same text, um, such important parts of shared reading. It's not just about having that shared text in the classroom.
3: No, that's right. And in fact, there are some fabulous, sophisticated poems that would be ideal to enlarge in some way and then have the class joining in with. Even in secondary school, I've done this. And, you know, I've seen it in a secondary school, kids who were really struggling and the teacher wrote up the words of a pop song that they all knew and they all joined in with that. And that was their first feeling of, wow, I'm a great reader. So, you know, the material's out there. We just have to use it.
2: And uh, don't forget, everyone, on Teachific, there's a whole section on poetry. If you just drop down menu and you'll see poetry and there's hundreds of poems on there that are all copyright free. Oh,
3: wonderful. Um, Absolutely wonderful. Because it's such a great tool as text type to use.
2: Wonderful. Thanks very much, Di, for sharing your great knowledge again. It's been wonderful having you on the podcast.
3: My pleasure. I was just going to say, one of the things is, now I hope if you look at something online that's a little film of a shared reading that you might be looking at it with a more critical eye because they're not all really good
2: no no being very critical and a lot more knowledgeable now that you've listened to this podcast i would say
1: thanks for another wonderful session di and thank you everyone for joining us today wonderful to have you as part of the podcast and just letting you know letting all listeners know that this concludes our podcast series for 2023 I think we've brought you another great range of topics and um, thoughts, ideas, tips, tricks, techniques, and we look forward to having you join us again in the new year. All the best and bye for now.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. To make sure you don't miss any literacy learning tips and insights, please subscribe to our show on your favourite podcast player. At Q Learning, our literacy specialists draw on over 30 years of teaching and international consulting experience to deliver world-class learning solutions. We equip, empower, and support teachers to become their authentic selves. To find out about upcoming webinars and about how Q can help you and your school, visit QLearning.com.au. And you can get even more amazing teaching resources right now at teachific.com.au. Stay tuned.